and welcome inside my chewy head. It's a place where I unlock my experiences on an acute psychiatric ward in my attempt to open your mind when it comes to mental health. Because 25% of the adult population is currently suffering from a mental health problem. Because over a million people are currently involved in mental health services. And because, if it can happen to me, we'll stop it happening to you. Hello and welcome to the final episode in the series. Wow, end of series two already insane. Today we're talking about Nora. Now Nora really was one of those patients that befits the ending of a series because she really was, she was one of the last patients who came onto the ward during my time on that second hospital that I can vividly remember and therefore, and not just that, she really was a character. So as I say, she arrived when I was kind of about three weeks away from from leaving hospital and being discharged, which was obviously not something I knew at the time. She was in her 60s, she had kind of grey hair. She wore quite strange clothes, not necessarily clothes that you would imagine a 60-year-old-ish to wear. Maybe that's me being really stereotypical and judgmental, probably. But she'd wear things like, you know, Baker Boy hats and then like really huge oversized jumpers and then leggings and stuff. And it was kind of like she just walked out of the 80s. It was very much like that. She was an incredibly difficult person to warm to. All right, I'm going to say that now. I don't think that's potentially that harsh to say. I don't know that obviously the person that I met was how she would be in the community. But certainly during her time in hospital, I would go as far as to say that I disliked her because of of how kind, well, for the reasons that I will get into. So first of all, she was incredibly loud. She, She didn't have an indoor voice, you know, she would just shout everything and just she would shriek and just make loads of really loud noises. It wasn't even that her talking voice was really loud. It was the fact that she would literally shout things just all the time or, you know, as I say, scream or like burst into laughter that came across quite like, you know, when it's like, ha 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 ha. And you're like, you're not actually laughing. Like, that's not, you're not even laughing. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) So she was just very loud. She was very rude to staff and to other patients. Very, very emotionally unstable. And what I mean by that is that she would be pissing herself laughing or pretend laughing in literally the same situation that literally five seconds later she would be erupting in very very serious anger and aggression so she was really like you never really knew what you know where to and you didn't even have to really do anything and she would just suddenly erupt at you and she would just go crazy and start throwing things or shouting at you she definitely assaulted a couple of people on the ward one of those people was the lady I mentioned who was suffering with mania at the time and the two of them together honestly it was you know it was laugh or cry it really really was so yeah she was kind of funny at times but I don't think she was necessarily intentionally funny she was just kind of you were just kind of like what are you doing because she was really invested in having attention it came across that she was very attention seeking and she would just do outrageous things and you were like why are you doing that like why are you lying on the floor pretending to be asleep when everyone knows that you're not you're in the middle of a very busy hospital do you know what I mean like she just do things and you were like what are you doing she kind of was funny in a way but to be honest with you I wouldn't say that she would be my kettle of fish 
I suppose. She came in with another woman who I think she knew, or I don't really know if she knew this woman, or she just befriended her very... I don't know, I just remember being at breakfast and them appearing together and me being like, I've never seen you two before, this is interesting. And then them knowing each other, or maybe just talking because they'd both come in at the same time, I don't know. But she was, honestly... She was just Nora, I'm talking about right now. She was just horrible to this woman. So this this other woman who came in, she was, again, maybe slightly younger than Nora. She's probably in like her 40s or something. I don't know. And I, again, I don't know what's wrong with her, but potentially she was depressed. She came across as someone who was quite defeated by life. And I think she was just trying to kind of cope with being in hospital or whatever. Um and Nora would just like erupt at her and be like really really horrible and say things which were she'd be like you're so fat disgusting looking like how can you eat another piece of toast or like literally like stuff like that out of nowhere but then at the same time she uh, was kind of friendly towards her and would always save her a seat she called this woman Elaine Page yeah. Now, Elaine Page, I believe, because I looked it up at the time and because I thought, well, this is a bit weird. Or like, who is Elaine Page? Why are you referring to her surname? But basically, Elaine Page, I believe, is some sort of actress or something. But let me just tell you, this woman was not Elaine Page and didn't really look anything like her. So it was very weird. I don't even know whether Nora knew Elaine Page's real name, but she certainly befriended her. But it was a very, very rocky friendship. And Elaine just kind of withstood the storm and the torrents of abuse that were were shouted at her. When I say it was personal, they'd obviously shared kind of personal details about each other because I just remember her being like, you're disgusting. It's no wonder your family don't come and see you here. It's no wonder that your boyfriend left you and like all this stuff. And you were like, oh my goodness, how can you say that to someone? Like, and why would you say that to someone? And why would you allow someone to speak to you like that and just... I don't know, but she just did. She just kind of t- just took it. Maybe maybe she was in such a depressed state that she just, it kind of affirmed how she was feeling. I don't know, but she just went along with it. But the thing is with Nora is that she was obviously obsessed with this lady and would always say for a seat. And it didn't even matter if like Elaine could be off in her room somewhere, maybe just having a nap or I don't know. And, you know, it, there were limited numbers of seats. There weren't enough, you know, in the communal area for everyone to sit there because obviously that's a really unusual situation where everyone would, would be sat. So um, there'd be times... <laughs> where she would be sat on one of like these lazy boy chairs. They had about six of those. And obviously that's where everyone wanted to sit on these comfy chairs. Well, they're, they're actually, to be fair, there was nowhere else to sit. So if you didn't get one of those chairs, you didn't get to sit in the communal area. So she would be sat in one of these chairs and then she would have her like bag or whatever on the chair next to her. And someone would try and sit and she'd be like, you can't sit there. Don't go away. This chair is for Elaine Page. And so sometimes Elaine would never turn up. and It would just be a chair that had been vacant all day. People who wanted to sit in it and weren't allowed. And then there were other times when she definitely which is why I think that potentially Nora came in with some form of psychosis or schizophrenia because she had full-on conversations with Elaine Page when Elaine Page definitely wasn't there and she would also I think part of the reason that she would sometimes lash out at Elaine is because she would think that they'd had conversations about things or think that Elaine had told her things that she hadn't told her and or I don't really know. She would just like say things like, you told me about this earlier. And Elaine would be like, oh, I, I don't think I did. And then she'd be like, yes, you did. And, and so I don't know whether she was just inventing all of this. I don't think so. I, I genuinely think that she was having, obviously she was in hospital. So she was clearly very unwell. And I think that part of her illness was imagining as I say, a form of psychosis, or just hearing the voices, either or, but she definitely had lots of encounters with Elaine Page, where Elaine Page wasn't actually present 
at the time. So yeah, she was a very interesting patient. And as I say, because of these conversations that she thought she was having with Elaine Page, which didn't actually transpire, were occurring, it kind of led you to understand why Nora was so angry a lot of the time, because that sort of thing happened a lot. So she would imagine that things had happened or people had said things about her or people were staring at her or whatever. And she would just go off on one and shout at people. And honestly, you genuinely didn't have to do anything. And the minute I saw her at that breakfast going off at Elaine, I thought, I am not going to speak to you (laughs) at all. I am not going to speak to you ever because I just don't need this (laughs) I don't need whatever it is that you're bringing to the mix love all right I'm trying my my hardest to get myself out of this place and away from people like you yeah I just kind of didn't didn't really speak to her Um, but you know that wasn't necessarily enough to put her off and she was really quite horrible to people who were just minding their own business but she felt were doing something to her she just caused a lot of disruption on the ward she was quite disruptive with staff and as I say particularly with this one lady who was manic and obviously was very reactive two of them together it was an absolute nightmare and I think that was part of the reason why this other lady was moved off of the ward because she just couldn't couldn't cope so I didn't really have much to do with her at all on a personal level and a lot of what I saw with her was just observational but my one interaction with her involved her shouting at Marilyn remember Marilyn's the the older lady very vulnerable really really anxious person and she was shouting at her because Marilyn was sat in a chair that she wanted for Elaine Page so you know standard story of, of this lady's life And I was just very calm, but I just thought, you know, this isn't okay because this is going to really set Marilyn off. And there were no staff around at that moment. So I just very calmly, I just said, Nora, can you can you not shout, please? Can you not shout at Marilyn? Oh, my God. Well, she stopped shouting at Marilyn at that point because she she turned obviously on to me, which, to be fair, I didn't really care about. That was fine. One person who she was absolutely good as gold for, though, was Ray. So, as I've mentioned previously, Ray was the man who was employed to take people out of the hospital for a short period of time. And she just loved him. She'd known him for a while because Nora had it transpired, and I learned this from Ray. She had been in and out of hospital for a long, long time, suggesting that she was really suffering from a long-term mental health you know, illness. And I was like, Ray, how do you... Like, how do you get on with her so well? And he was like, oh, she's she's actually a really, really lovely woman. It's just that when she doesn't take her medication, this is what happens. And I just really found that so difficult to believe because she was so unbelievably disruptive. And also she was disruptive in a way which drew other members of the ward into the drama who didn't necessarily want to be involved in the drama. And I can just remember just finding the idea of her being... Nice, just difficult to swallow, I suppose. But apparently she was. When she was on the ward, though, she definitely had taken or I don't know whether she started. She came in maybe being quite a little bit more amenable in terms of taking her meds, but she certainly refused to take her meds. I remember seeing this many, many times where they would come up to her and they'd literally bring her her medication. Because basically at this hospital, at the previous hospital, if you missed your meds, you just missed your meds. They they didn't really call for you. Sometimes they would say you need to get out of bed and go and get them. But they wouldn't. They certainly wouldn't be following you around and bringing them to you. Because at this hospital, she was given meds, and if she would never go and get her meds ever, and so people would be following her around with a little you know white paper cup thing. <laughs> being like, come on, Nora, it's time to take your meds, come on. And she would just be like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. 
and sometimes she would most of the time she wouldn't and basically she would do anything to avoid taking her meds so she would pretend to be asleep as I've stated uh, she also had this thing where she was like I'm pregnant I'm pregnant and I can't take my meds if I take my meds then that will hurt my baby do you want my baby to die and you were like you're 60 I don't think you're pregnant and I don't know whether she got that off of the other lady who actually was pregnant it's very difficult to tell but very sadly because she was on so if someone refuses their medication I I might have said this before but I'll just say it again in case someone's just listening for the first time in which case hi welcome so if somebody refuses to take medication that person can be forced to take their medication through injections however only for certain illnesses so I know that psychosis medication comes in a liquid form which means it can be injected whereas depressive medication doesn't she was forcibly injected in the communal area at least twice while I was there I know that she has had her meds okay and I know that from that she's very likely to be suffering with a form of psychosis or schizophrenia as a result of that so yeah time went on her her situation didn't improve because she was refusing to take her meds and obviously I don't th- I think there's probably a lot of red tape attached around the idea of forcibly injecting people with medication it's probably quite challenging to do so I imagine there were times when she didn't necessarily get her meds as a result of that I don't know but she definitely became more difficult she was seeing things a lot more I think and she was she had this thing about her brother she was always saying like it'd be like 10 p.m at night and obviously no one's no one's allowed off the wall at 10 p.m at night even if you aren't on a section which she definitely was and she'd be like my brother's outside in the car he's come to pick me up I'm going home home now and they'd be like um no Nora you can't and she'd be like what what are you gonna tell my brother my brother doesn't know about this this is ridiculous and she'd just be off on one and you'd be like oh for god's sake and that would go on and on and on but she was adamant that her brother was outside and that I think you know sometimes would even check and they were like no Nora he's not outside like oh he must have moved or something but she just I don't know it was just a lot of this stuff was just being generated in her mind and wasn't necessarily she just really wasn't in touch with reality a lot of the time Today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country, which is America, with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Used for dine-in, takeout or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. One of the things which really demonstrated to me that she wasn't was that... (laughs) randomly for no apparent reason that I could see she suddenly started wearing and I swear on my life I'm not joking a full length black with a glittery bodice ball gown I'm not joking I don't even know why she brought that in with her to hospital but she switched the Baker boy cap and you know leggings jumper look for this long black ball gown which was strapless and basically didn't necessarily fit her that well and so as a result of that it would fall down and you would just see her like bra and her boobs and so sometimes what she would do is she would put her bra on on the outside of the dress so that it would hold it would hold it up and it wouldn't fall down and you know she'd be there like ranting and raving and telling you that she needed to go outside to see her brother and obviously you'd be like okay (laughs) like yeah she just was not 
she was just not well but she was also really really exhausting to be around and I was really really happy to leave when I did because I was discharged at a time when the lady I can't remember what I called the lady with bipolar I can't remember what I called her the name will come to me eventually but anyway she was still you know in the process of being removed she was I think she left a few days maybe a week before I, I was discharged maybe slightly I don't know, all the time merges. But I just remember them those incidents being quite close together. And then Nora was there, obviously, and might still be there. I don't know. Um, hopefully not. I'm, I'm sure not. But she, I was definitely like, <sighs> thank God that I will be able to, to go and, and not have to deal with it because it was just very, very wearing. And remember that being discharged from hospital doesn't mean that you are 100%, you know, A-OK, you're well, you can go and just crack on. It means that you're in a p- place where you're no longer a danger to yourself or to others most of the time I would say (laughs) I don't really know so the story of how they eventually let me out of hospital is quite a little tale isn't it because apparently you know the what's that saying the the course of my discharge never did run smooth there you go a little bit of Shakespeare for you and I'll tell you for why okay so I was approaching the end of my section okay so I'd been sectioned for 28 days following uh, a section which was three days and a section before that, which was five days or something, I don't know. So I'd, you know, I'd been on a section a wee while, but I was on a section two. Section two does not prevent you from being able to travel, and it doesn't necessarily like link to any mortgage applications that you might have and stuff like that. So I was fine with that. Obviously, I didn't really care about anything at the time when I was sectioned, but you know, I was moving towards a place where I was feeling at times much, much more open to the idea of life. I would, I would say, I was, yeah, I guess my mind was st- starting to open somewhat, right? And I. I definitely had made my decision that regardless of what happened I certainly did not want to end up onto a section three and here's the reason why a section three gives a doctor the ability to keep you for up to six months so six months and needless to say also has implications regarding things like mortgages travel to certain countries for years and years and years but for me more in the immediate sense obviously I was in a hospital with Nora and people like that and I just didn't want to be anymore. I was sick of it. I've been in hospital for nearly three months and I'd had enough, okay? And so basically I was determined that whatever might happen at the end of my section two, I wouldn't go on to a section three, okay? So my section two was ending and I was thinking, right, I need to make get your shit together, Ellie. Get your head sorted so that you can prove to people that you're sane enough to be released back into the community. Because basically that's what you have to do. It's basically, I imagine, like good behaviour in prison. You know, like you behave well and they think, yeah, all right, we'll let you out. It's pretty much like that. And so I was really trying my best, you know, making myself do things I didn't necessarily always feel like doing, like participating in stuff around the ward because I thought this will be good. You know, just generally trying to show my face in a positive light, right? So there I am doing my best. And then all of a sudden, I'm minding my own business, by the way, in my room, colouring away as I love to do, listening to a bit of Sherlock Holmes, listen to the ultimate, sorry, the definitive collection of Sherlock Holmes while I was in hospital. It's over 72 hours of, of audio. Yep, I blazed straight through that. Anyway, so there I am listening. Someone knocks at my door. Oh, hi, Ellie. Um, By the way, we've got some student doctors in and they would really love to interview you. Are you able to do that? Do you have some time? And so there's me and I'm thinking to myself, good behaviour, do the, you know, do the water service, not really doing much right now. Yeah, why not? You know, why not? What have I got to lose? What did I have to lose was a good question. But anyway, we'll get there. So I sit down with these two doctors. They must be, you know, early 20s or something. I don't fucking know. And they were obviously not proper doctors. They were, well, 
that's maybe offensive, I don't know, but they were trainees, they were medical students, right? They start asking me all of these questions about why, we, why I'd been put into hospital, what my symptoms were, all of this stuff. And I was just, you know, just to be honest with you, I was just talking very freely. I was just being really, really open because I just thought, you know, these are just some random students, just, you know, I didn't really take it very seriously, I suppose. And I was just saying exactly how I didn't put any sort of filter on. And that was a mistake because they asked me things to do with how suicidal I felt and whether I would consider making an attempt on my life if I left hospital. And I was like, yeah, I probably would. Yeah. And they were like, like, they, you know, I think they were really thrilled with the whole experience because, you know, they got to really see inside the mind of someone as wonderful as myself. Right. So um, they they were taking all these notes and stuff. And I just thought, you know, oh, well, they're students. So it's probably just, you know more exciting than, I don't know, whatever you do as a student, (laughs) I don't really know. But anyway, so they took their notes and they trotted off and I thought that was the end of that one. Little did I know that what those lovely little students had done is they had gone back to my psychiatrist and told my psychiatrist that I had made claims that I was um, making plans to end my life when I was released from hospital. And obviously that scuppered my plans of being released from hospital because essentially what happened was I turn up right to my next ward round and it's nearly the anniversary of my not anniversary but I, I think I'm literally approaching the point deadline in the next couple of days for me to be off of section and then you know I'm a voluntary patient right and so I was like oh fucking hell uh, this is the moment, guys. And then she sits there and guess who sat? I walk into the room, right? Guess who sat? In, like, in the, There's my psychiatrist. There's always about 15 million people in these ward rounds in these city hospitals anyway. But guess who sat right next to her? My psychiatrist. Yep, that little student. Okay, he's wearing, you know, little beady eyed thing he was. I remember, I could picture his face right now. And, oh, honestly. And she was like, and how have you been doing, Ali? How are things? And I was like, oh, yes, everything's wonderful. You know, really amping it up. Like, oh, yes, I'm fan- I'm just doing so well. I'm thriving. I'm thriving. I've never enjoyed life more. <laughs> Probably outside we could hear, the, you know, the suicide alarm going off and Nora throwing herself at the wall and whatever else. But anyway, <laughs> I was just blagging it. And um, she's like, oh, really? Is that true? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Oh, really? Because this young student here has just uh, informed us that actually you've been talking about making plans on your life. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. I was like, oh, my God. She, 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 basically, I just looked. I didn't even say anything. I was just like, uh, I, I think I was a bit speechless. Like, oh, shit. Because I just assumed that they wouldn't talk to one another. Because I just thought... You know, I just I don't know. Maybe that was just me being naive. It probably was. Anyway, so then she goes, right. So obviously your section two's ending. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply for you to have a section three. And I I walked out of the meeting. I was so upset, and I was I was very 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 unwell <laughs> after that because I just did not feel good about the idea of being in hospital for potentially six months. You know, at the mercy of more doctors and other pay, just the whole thing. I just didn't want. I just didn't want it. And now I had to prove my sanity at another one of these meetings where you would have obviously social worker amp all of these people to come in and state your case and whatever else. And I was just absolutely beside myself about it. And then I just remember them dealing with it really badly at the hospital because they planned to come one day. And so I'd obviously psyched myself up for it, like not slept all night. And then I'd like 
waited for them to come and then they just they didn't come and I was like where the fuck are they supposed to be here at like 12 or whatever and I went up to one of the nurses who was like oh yeah sorry did no one tell you no they can't make it today (laughs) and I was just like are you joking and I I think I actually went went a little bit haywire at him I was like how can you not tell me this like this affects my whole life like my freedom literally and you've just not bothered to tell me like did you not think that would upset me did you not think oh honestly I went off on one so anyway long story short And, you know, it is a long story and I don't want to bore you guys. I really don't. So I'll just keep it short. Essentially, what happened was the meeting happened and I was in a state by this point where obviously I had had a deferred meeting and I was just not in a very good mental headspace about the whole thing. Because obviously, when you're a depressed person, you always assume that the the worst outcome is the one that will happen to you. And to be fair to me, I was ending up in a situation where I was having to have another bloody section meeting. So it was quite a negative situation. But anyway, so I was basically, I was like to my husband, like, I don't want anyone there because he was technically allowed, you can have someone with you, which I didn't have on the previous ones I'd had because they, I don't think he even told us or I don't know, but he was working or something, I don't know. But he was like, I can come, like, I'll come to the meeting. And I was like, no, don't come to the meeting. Like, just, you'll make it worse. Just leave it. Just let me just deal with it. And I'll just cope with it on my own. So I have this meeting. I am so upset and just anxious that I can't. (laughs) Honestly, it's so, like, it's one of those things that you think about. You're just like, oh, just cringe. I just cried. <laughs> I don't think I said anything. I think they said, I think I said, please, can I not be here? And they were like, no, you have to be in this meeting. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just cried. That was the whole meeting. I didn't, <laughs> they asked me questions. I didn't even answer them. I just cried. It wasn't great. So I didn't really probably place myself as someone who was really sane and capable. But I didn't feel it at that time. I felt really anxious. The whole situation and prospect of being in hospital for more time made me so much more anxious. So, yeah. Basically, they came out of that meeting and I assume I was like, fucking hell, this is it. And I guess, I don't, if, I don't know if anybody else has this as well, but it's kind of comforting in a way if you tell yourself the worst case scenario and just say, well, this is what's going to happen. because it's just. And in a way, it's kind of like obviously really dark and twisted, but also comforting. Does anybody else resonate with that idea? And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to get section three. Like, that's what's going to happen. That'll be my fate, you know. And anyway, and then what happens after, I don't know, maybe an hour, is my husband comes into the room and I'm like, sorry, what? And basically my husband's like, Ellie, you're not going to be sectioned. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, how did you know? Like, how did you know the meeting was taking place right now? And it transpired that my husband had been liaising with the hospital staff and had basically been, he'd come to the hospital just after my meeting and he basically crashed their post-mortem meeting where they were ba- about to section me they basically were going to section me or section three me and my husband was like persuading them not to and in the end they listened to him so thank god for my husband louis i don't know where i would be without him actually i do <laughs> probably still in hospital knowing my luck so yes anyway so ultimately after some time i then was able to be in a position where i was discharged from hospital and that kind of led me on to the next chapter of my life if my life were a book which obviously it isn't and you know do I know that I've made more progress in some ways yes I do I like obviously I I'm more aware of my own mental health now than I've ever been before but does that mean that I'll never go into hospital or have a break like you just don't know I think that's the main thing that I learned and I think think I'm going to summarize by telling you what I learned from the whole experience and I guess what I learned from the whole experience is that you, you just cannot call it you cannot call life you don't, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You can make plans and those plans will be disrupted and you can, you just have to be reactive and proactive and somehow make it through. And that's kind of what I did. 
what I learned from Laura, again, was definitely to be reactive to the situation or the mood that she was in. And so maybe she's a good metaphor for mental health in general. What I think you can learn, particularly from Nora, but maybe from myself as well, or from anyone, is that you cannot judge people on how they present, because actually what might be going on inside might be very different from how they're coming across. So obviously Nora was really rude and aggressive and violent, (laughs) but she was potentially a really lovely human being, but that didn't come across because of the mental health disorder that she was suffering with. And someone like myself, you know, as I say, in the first hospital I was in, doctors found it really difficult to know what to do with me. They didn't really understand me because I didn't really match their kind of list of how you should be when you were depressed. But but obviously I was really, really depressed. I was really, really not very well. (laughs) And so I think the best thing that you can do in life is just to to try and it's hard at times and it was especially hard with people like Nora who are very very difficult to tolerate at times but actually if we're just kind of patient with other people and also with ourselves and I suppose we just have to acknowledge that mental health isn't something that we wear on our sleeves and we're never in a position to judge or make judgments upon other people's mental health in terms of whether they're well or whether they're unwell or why they're behaving in the way that they are. Because until you've lived someone's life and seen life through their lens, you just don't know. You just don't know. And so that's a really vague and really wishy-washy, isn't it, to end this series on. But I guess the final thing I'll say is, is kind of one thing that I would recommend to anyone who is struggling with mental health of any kind. If you're struggling with anxiety or voices or whatever it might just know that the way that you feel I often like to make analogies between feelings and the weather and just know that you know on a on a snowy cold day you can never you can't even remember what it's like to be hot and sunny because it's so cold and the same when it's really hot and sunny you're like how is it possibly freezing cold outside sometime (laughs) or maybe that's just me I'm like why do I ever wear a coat like you don't really need a coat you know and then obviously the weather changes and you're kind of surprised by that even though you know that it can change and I think that that's a really good analogy for our feelings and for our thoughts as well and so know that you are not your thoughts and you don't need to be defined by your thoughts or your feelings and because they change they do change and I'm living proof of that. Well, guys, that's it. That's series two rounded up in a nutshell. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being such a loyal listenership group of people who who listen and who communicate with me. And honestly, I'd love to hear more from you. I would love to hear more of your stories. So do reach out on any of the social media channels in between the time, the space, the void between series two and what I promise will be series three. I don't know when series three, three will come out. Okay, I'm go. I'm not going to lie about that. I have a busy period coming up at work. I'm juggling things. So look out for series three. Let's say for the new year. All right. Take care of yourselves. Try and stay well during this difficult time. But know that if you aren't feeling well, that's okay. It doesn't have to mean the end of your of your life. Okay. All right. Anyway, love you lots all, and see you in series three. Bye. <laughs>